Hi, I'm Mainika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. As the war in Ukraine drags on, allegations of war crimes and human rights abuses are piling up. Some of these incidents have been linked to a mercenary organization called the Wagner Group. The Wagner Group is closely linked to the Russian government. And this war isn't the first time the group has been accused of committing atrocities. Since its start in 2014, it's operated in several countries in the Middle East and Africa, and almost always trailed by allegations of human rights abuses. They do it because they need the money. Some of them do it because they don't know what else to do with their life. Some of them do it because they're sociopaths, you know? Sean McFate is a U.S. Army veteran and former military contractor, which, as he'll explain to us, is basically another term for a mercenary. He's now a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council think tank and author of The New Rules of War. He'll tell us about how this notorious organization operates, what members of the group have said to him, and why hiring mercenaries might become a more common thing. This is The Decibel. Sean, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Well, thank you for having me. So let's just start with with the basics here. What is the Wagner Group? The Wagner Group's a mercenary organization that works for Russia, but it's not like a legal entity. It doesn't have like a legal charter anywhere. anywhere. It's owned uh, and controlled by a Russian oligarch whose name is Prigozhin, and he is close to Putin. And so when Putin wants to do things, he asks Prigozhin to use his mercenaries to do it. And for some side benefits, uh, Prigozhin is also allowed to drill for oil or gas or whatever in the Middle East and Africa. Hmm. But basically, the Wagner Group does the Kremlin's dirty work overseas. And it's been their sort of weapon of choice in the last eight years when they, they've expanded into Africa, have expanded into the Middle East. And they're not, Russia's not doing this through special forces or sort of some ex-KGB organization. They're using the Wagner Group. What sort of work is this group typically hired to do? So typically they're hired to do direct action or combat or assault. Um, they also, they've done that in Ukraine. They're doing that in Ukraine right now. They also do training and equipping, um, which they've done in Central African Republic. They do regime security in, like, for example, Mali. So Mali has had two coup d'etats. There's a military junta that's in charge of Mali. And to coup-proof themselves, you know, they've hired the Wagner Group to do it. Like, so Wagner Group is giving the coup leaders, de- like, high-end bodyguard details and they're training and equipping a special sort of elite militia that's just loyal to the coup leaders. Uh, in exchange for all these services, um, you know, they get mining rights. We see that in Central African Republic and Mali. They get oil rights in Syria. And in Syria, they were asked just to simply kill ISIS. And they did that very effectively with a lot of collateral damage. And so that's another thing that they do is they do they commit war crimes. Mm-hmm. And again, because of the plausible deniability even though we might all sort of snicker and say we know exactly who did that, like in Bucha, yeah, the massacre in Ukraine, it's, it's hard for international law to prove anything. 
Hmm. And you call this a mercenary group. I feel like this is kind of an old term that we don't use that much these days. What exactly is a mercenary? Well, that's a great question. But a mercenary is exactly what, what people think about. <laughs> like your listeners will think about it. Hmm. These are foreign fighters who are going abroad to participate in other people's wars, chiefly for profit. Right. And they're using force in a military or paramilitary way. These are not sort of gate guards uh, at the shopping mall. These are sort of you know, commandos or even just infantry. There's a lot of questions about what's the difference between a private military company like Blackwater and a mercenary company mm. like the Wagner Group. Academics and lawyers spill volumes of ink on this question, but basically it's the same. And, you know, I'll lastly add that I used to be in this industry myself for many years. Hmm. And uh, I can tell you from the inside, the only thing that really differentiates a mercenary from a private military contractor is, you know, it's just a term of art at the end of the day. Uh, of course, I would describe myself as a private military contractor, but ultimately... You know, the Wagner Group, they are mercenaries. These are modern mercenaries. So you yourself was a, were a, a private military contractor. That's exactly how you, like, that was your previous role, I guess. Could you just expand on that? Like, what does sure, that mean? Sure, yeah. So I used to be in the U.S. Army paratroopers uh, and an officer. And then I left that and joined a private military company that worked chief, well, chiefly, if not exclusively, for the United States of America. And I was their man in Africa. And uh, I did things that would have traditionally been outsourced to, say, the CIA or Special Operations Forces. And then I left working for U.S. government clients and I worked f sort of free market for like oil companies and stuff like that. And then I decided that uh, I had this epiphany where I realized that there were no old people in my industry, or at least none that I liked. And I started to question my life choices and decided to leave. So I'm here now as a sort of trying to pull back the curtain on this mysterious world. I write a lot about it. I track it. I've, I, I talk to mercenaries around the world, including people in the Wagner group. It's sort of become a it's surprising to me my sort of like my I guess contribution. Hmm. Well, yeah, this is this is really this is really interesting, and and I I want to get to the fact that you've you've actually spoken to people in this organization pretty soon. But but first, let's just back up a bit because everyone describes this this group, this Wagner group, as a as a Kremlin linked organization. But Putin denies any connection to them. So how do we know that it's tied to Russia and to Putin? Well, it's a good question. I mean, also, Prigozhin, who owns it, denies any knowledge of this. And that's absurd. I mean, it's um, I mean, Putin's his legacy item is to recreate the Russian Empire. And he's taken great steps in recent years and most notably in Ukraine to sort of try to resurrect the superpower that was the USSR, but not under some sort of communist ideology, but under like czar Putin. He likes mercenaries because they give you plausible deniability. So if things go badly someplace, um, which has happened, or, you know, you want to commit human rights abuse as a policy, mm. if they get caught, you can always back away and say, well, we don't know who those Russians are. They're just sort of war tourists. And as absurd as that sounds, it kind of works, believe it or not. So, 
you know, the, meanwhile, we have a lot of ties between the GRU, which is the Russian military intelligence organization, handling and even intelligence sharing with the Wagner Group. And the Wagner Group doesn't work for anybody else. They only work for Moscow, but they're not sort of a, they're not statutory forces. They're not like a special wing of the special forces groups. What has this group been accused of doing? I, maybe we can we can start with Mali because we were talking about Mali before. What has this group been accused of doing in Mali? Well, Mali, Central African Republic, Syria, wherever they go, there's a there's a trail of things like rapes and murders and excessive force, uh, you know, against civilians, things that um, we in the West would, you know, our, even our military were like, that's we don't do that. But in um, you hire the Wagner Group, one of their chief selling points is human rights violations, because sometimes soldiers, professional soldiers don't want to do that. Uh, whereas if you're a, if you're a mercenary, that's kind of part of the job. Uh, this this group has also been accused of operating in Ukraine and specifically in Bucha, where civilians were really, really brutally targeted. Yeah. What do we know about how the Wagner Group was involved there? Well, the Wagner Group has been, we know from the past, like in Syria, is that, you know, they engage in, you know, capture, torture and kill. Like in, in Syria and in Bucha, you see people with their hands tied behind their back, the backs, headshot to the head, to the neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Syria, they got them, they decapitated them. And this is, you know, part of, you know, some people might say, well, they're just, these are really sociopath rogue warriors. That is true. But it's also true this is a Russian policy, too. So German intelligence has intercepted sort of a command from the GRU, the Russian military intelligence that traditionally handles, they, they handle them, they don't own them, they handle the Wagner Group to do these types of things, as well as Russian units do these types of war crimes. And so... It, this is part of their MO. Wagner Group watchers like myself were not surprised to see this. But I do want to emphasize it's not just the Wagner Group doing these horrific war crimes. It's largely the Russian army. But the Wagner Group is kind of like, that's the contract as well. So why would a government have a group like the Wagner Group? Like, what does the Russian government gain if, if their army is, is doing similar things? What do they gain from having a group like this? Well, before Putin's, you know, blunder-ridden invasion of Ukraine, which has been terrible for the humans in Ukraine, don't get me wrong, he used the Wagner Group to extend Russian influence in the shadows because of the plausible deniability. Now, in Ukraine, it's a different situation. They did use them in Ukraine initially to do, you know, combat. But what's happening now is that... um, you know, as we all know, Putin thought this invasion would take three days, and now it's not. And so Putin is desperate to, he needs soldiers. As you can outsource it, you can conceal the costs of the conflict. So right now, hiring mercenaries allows Russia to keep on extending the conflict um, and not having... Russia, like minimizing Russian soldiers going home in body bags, which is a big problem for Putin's domestics. Um, but of course, Wagner Group is getting killed a lot too. Their new role in Ukraine is not really what it's been in the last couple of years. 
Given that there's so little transparency about the Wagner Group and and everyone seems to be denying involvement here, Sean, how do you actually figure out what what this group is up to and what they're doing? Well, this is a, it's a great question. I mean, first of all, you've got Ukrainian sources, but you can't trust them either because there's, you know, modern warfare is as much of, it's more of a cognitive battle than it is a physical battle. So controlling the information space, controlling the narrative, the information, that's all part of it. So Russia's downplaying it, saying they're not there. Ukraine's upplaying it, says, you know, they're everywhere. Uh, but we have, um, you know, some things like German intelligence uh, agencies and others intercept messages and, and make them public without revealing the sources and methods. You have people like myself, who's I've been a close tracker of this group since 2013, 14. And there are, you know, investigative journalists like Bellingcat who have sources and human networks on the ground. So all of us actually keep in quite close contact and we kind of pass around and verify or try to verify things we've heard, seen. And I, you know, I, of course, I talk to members of Wagner, not members who are on the ground right now, but members who are elsewhere. And they kind of tell me a couple things, too. Hmm. What, what have they told you about about what they're doing? Well, they're they're like any other mercenary. I mean, most of them, they're ex-soldiers from around the Russian speaking world, not all Russia. Um, they do it because they need the money. Some of them do it because they don't know what else to do with their life. Some of them do it because they're sociopaths. You know, and what they're telling me right now is that the war in Ukraine is going really badly uh, and that uh, it's getting more difficult to for Putin to conceal the costs of war and the sort of the 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 narrative he he, he started off with, with, uh, you know, the freeing, liberating Ukraine from the Nazis. I mean, that's it's still important because he controls the state owned media, but it's the, the truth is seeping out. Right. Um, and Wagner group, Wagner guys know this. They know they're cannon fodder. And the, the group has changed a lot as a result. And in fact, when I talk to people in the Wagner group, nobody's happy in the Wagner group. They'd all rather be working, um, for like some Saudi prince someplace who pays a lot of money and, and just wants you to guard oil infrastructure and there's no real danger. Uh, but the way that Russia keeps the Wagner Group mercenaries from going abroad is that, um, ironically, Russia has very strict anti-mercenary laws on their books. And even though the Kremlin hires these mercenaries to do their dirty work, if these mercenaries start looking for other clients outside of Russia, they arrest them and throw them in jail as mercenaries. So they, they, they hi- they're hiring mercenaries here, but if these mercenaries are stepping out of line, they are charging them and penalizing them for being mercenaries? It's a very Russian solution. Huh. That's right. Wow. Okay. How many people are we talking about? How many people are in this, this Wagner group? Well, that's a great question. So the numbers have fluctuated. Um, so it's been around since 2014, 13, depending who you talk to. Um, my sources tell me that over uh, before the Ukraine war, they said about 10 to 15,000 people have gone through the doors of Wagner. Hmm. That doesn't mean 10 to 15,000 in one time. It just means that there's that many, which is a huge number. That's a big number. Most mercenary groups are, you know, much like 100 or less. And you mentioned there's other mercenary groups. Is this something that is common for countries to do? Do Are other countries doing the same thing? Yeah, I mean, this is a big deal. So like, um, 
you know, Latin America, Colombia, Salvador, Guatemala, there's a lot of their special operations forces guys are leaving to become mercenaries. Um, they were hired initially by the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, uh, about 10 years ago to safeguard oil infrastructure in the Gulf. And then they sent them into the war in Yemen. Um, we've seen American Green Berets uh, act as mercenaries in Venezuela and Japan and other places. This is a growing industry where, you know, billionaires have hired them. But uh, this is not unique to Russia. What sort of accountability is there for a group like this, Sean? Uh, there's no accountability for a group like this. Mm. I mean, that's why you... Why plausible deniability matters to clients is that it's a way to wage war in secret without having to get caught. And who doesn't want to wage war in secret with not getting caught? Look at the Latin American, the Colombian mercenaries who assassinated the president of Haiti last year. We caught those mercenaries. We still don't know who hired them. They don't know who hired them. So somebody out there in the world assassinated a sitting head of state and cleanly got away with it. Mm. Uh, international laws are very weak on mercenaries, to be honest. Like nobody really knows. There's no precise definition of it. And even if you had good laws, who's going to go into Ukraine and arrest all those mercenaries? Not the United Nations, not NATO. And also mercenaries can shoot your law enforcement dead. Mm. So you can, they literally resist arrest. So because of these factors, you know, growing clientele, both in, you know, states and non-states, the fact that international regulation is pretty powerless to stop it means that we're seeing a, a trend line for the last 10 years of the growth of a mercenary industry in the 21st century. I mean, it, this industry is growing. It seems like these groups are really hard to control. So I guess what, what's the solution here? Like, is there anything that we can do to kind of help solve this problem? Well, I think what we're going to need to do is think about a 21st century or in 2050 where the super rich have access to military might, like special forces type might. And that, this is what mercenaries have always done. I mean, it's the second oldest profession. The only the last 200 years did that go away of all of human history. And I think the pendulum is swinging back to where private military force was normal. And I think it's going to reemerge as normal. But that doesn't mean like the sky is going to collapse. I think it's going to complicate international relations. But I don't see any, you know, the United Nations is not going to save the day here. Uh, I don't know what country could do that. It's hard to go after the clientele because how do you go after Russia? How do you go after a super rich person who hides their tax money, much less their secret mercenary dealings? So I think it's going to become a facet of international relations that we have to start getting smart to. Think about are there market mechanisms that we could tweak to put them out of business? And then also, you know, I think trans, you know, if their secret weapon is plausible, is plausible deniability, let's create implausible deniability, right? We live in an information age. So you said market mechanisms there. What, what do you mean by that? Well, like during the Iraq and Afghanistan war, the United States of America hired a lot of private military contractors. It's one of the reasons this industry exists today. The U.S. had the opportunity to use its market power. It was the, it was the big sugar daddy of the market. Mm -hmm. You know, we could have set rules of the road. Like if you do these bad things, you're bankrupt. If you do these good things like human rights and transparency, you'll get another contract. The U.S. didn't bother to do that. 
The only people who could do that today can sort of control the market would be the UN if it wanted to privatize some of its peacekeeping, which I think there's a good argument to do that. But the UN would have to put into place like a transparency system and a, uh, an auditing and account system and a human rights system, you know, education. And uh, the United Nations, I don't think, is capable or, or willing to do that right now. But if they did, that would, I think, put some market power to at least enhance positive behaviors. I mean, could we use mercenaries for humanitarian interventions? Mm. The answer is absolutely. And they would like to do that too. Believe it or not, a lot of them do not like working for scumbags. Excuse my language. Now, some don't care, but, um, you know, there's a way we can harness it. But right now, nobody's thinking about these things because we only think about, you know, mercenaries are cheap Hollywood villains. And we have to get over our stereotypes before we can think through a solution. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, too. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our intern is Emily McPhail. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.